Hello and welcome to Mainstream. This is Mainstream episode 21. And if you've never listened to Mainstream before, well, I'm going to explain to you exactly what it is. You might have heard of Pixel Sift. We've made our name delivering some of the best indie games coverage um, from games that are made in Australia and all around the world. Well, on Mainstream, we talk about some of those high-profile blockbuster games that we've been playing recently uh, and some from our back catalogs as well on this episode of Mainstream. Mainstream stalwart, Adam Christou. Hello. Hello. Hi. How's it going? We're going to talk about video games. And can you tell me, what have you been playing recently? Oh, man, I've been A lot of things, but what have you been playing particularly about this episode? (laughs) (laughs) I have been playing a lot as per usual, but a game that has surprisingly kind of got its claws into me is a tiny little indie monster battle game called Monster Sanctuary, which is uh, a kind of a fun, inventive mix of Metroidvania kind of 2D exploration and platforming, but with kind of the joy that you would get from a Pokemon-style game of collecting monsters, battling them in turn-based combat. I don't want to say too much more about it. We'll kind of leave it for the episode itself. But it's it's really good. It's it's super surprising how much I've enjoyed my time in the world of Monster, monster Sanctuary so far. I have been playing the retro throwback uh, horror game called The Medium, which everyone was talking about in the last couple of weeks. Um, I have really found it to be quite an interesting experience to play a game like this in the year of 2021, um, but I'd love to tell you a little bit more about it after this. You're listening to Mainstream by Pixelsift. Visit us on pixelsift.com.au. Right, the medium. Tell me all about it. What is it? Who developed it? What is this game? Okay, so the medium is a... It's a puzzle game. I would basically, if you want to break it down to its most basic uh, elements, it's a horror puzzle game made by a Polish uh, development studio called Bluber Team. Um, they are uh, very heavily inspired by those PlayStation 1 era horror games like Resident Evil, uh, like Silent Hill, uh, with sort of a modern twist. And um, The interesting mechanic about this particular one is that you actually have a split screen in this game where you can move between the spirit world and the real world and you have to solve puzzles moving back and forth between the two. So at any point during the game, your screen might split either horizontally or vertically and um, then you have to either navigate through the puzzles in either parts of the world. And what I quite like about it is that really for a game that has um, fixed camera angles, tank controls like you would remember from those old games, it does quite a good job it's sort of fixing some of those older problems uh, that you would have had, like, for example, not exactly pushing the right direction uh, when enemies come at you. And there's also not a lot of those situations where you find yourself trapped and you blame the controls for what has happened to you um, because of the way that the game has actually been designed. So it has a quite, um, it's, it's qu- I wouldn't say it's a real jump scary sort of game. It's more of a, a build up psychological horror. There was really only one jump scare that I saw in this particular game. And um, yeah, and then basically the rest of it is trying to puzzle out this psychological horror game that you kind of go through with increasingly creepy graphics and you kind of piece together a story of a um, an old uh, holiday camp in Poland uh, that has been abandoned and destroyed and you're trying to find the psychic traces what are, that are left over. Hmm. Yeah, I, I played a little bit of this as well. And, you know, there's like a classic sort of Stephen King psychological horror energy about this game. You know, the classic uh, Stephen King tropes of psychic protagonist, um, mysterious worlds that overlap with ours all kind of coalescing together. Um, without going into too much spoilers, there is an aura of 
um, I guess, unsettling uncertainty about what has happened in the environment that you're predominantly exploring and what is the catastrophe or the mystery that you're trying to unpack, which I, I think is, you know, enough of a carrot on a stick to make you want to play and continue um, exploring in this game. I'm I'm kind of curious, like you mentioned that it has a lot of old school influences. One of the things that really stood out to me within the first few seconds of playing was that this is a game that really wants to kind of harken back to the days of PlayStation 1 where cameras are fixed and you have no control over your viewing of the world. Like you are going to be set in fixed camera angles for the entire game. Um, it kind of gives it a cinematic quality, but it also takes away a bit of agency from you as well. And I felt like that issue that I've always had with fixed camera games like Resident Evil, etc., where you will kind of jump into the transition for a camera angle change always still unsettles me in the sense that I feel like I have to reorientate like my controls in the direction that I'm moving. Did you find that you had some of those issues still as well, or did they feel mostly ironed out for you? They feel mostly ironed out as well, and they also don't have as much of, um, uh, you know, for example, you think about Resident Evil, if you jump into the wrong screen and you've got enemies chasing you, you could immediately press the wrong direction because your orientation of the screen has changed and the keyboard or sorry, your keyboard or mouse or your controller were fixed in terms of directions in which you would travel. Um, so there isn't really any of that in this particular one. And I actually think because of the way that the game renders two different worlds on top of each other, I think the fixed camera angle is a bit of a development um, kind of like clever trick that they've used to basically make sure that they can keep a, a nice frame rate, a really good looking world in both screens at the same time. So I think from the way that is kind of rolled out, it's quite good. But there are also bits where you do need to run away um, from some enemies, but it's sort of a scripted sequence where that's kind of the, the, mm. the standard format of it kind of changes. Um, but there really isn't like there's no real penalty to to dying. If you just die, you restart. You get it's quite um, uh, generous with its checkpointing in this game. And um, yeah, there's there's plenty of opportunities to do that. But I think the thing that really interesting, what I found really interesting about this game was that it um, it sort of teased at uh, a world that's grounded in the real world it's set in you know post um fall of the uh communist uh controlled poland uh also there's impacts of being an occupied country during world war ii there's sort of psychic damage that occurs to people who live through that time as well so there's little pieces that you can kind of tease out through the storyline which kind of build up on that um, some of them they do in a much more overt way. So you really feel like you are like, yep, okay, I get it. And this is exactly what you're trying to, to tell. And some of it's a bit more subtle and it kind of depends on the th sort of level you're playing through. Some of them um, I feel like it does in a much more uh, sort of clever, uh, if you didn't, you know, if you pay attention slowly and you'll pick it up. Um, and and then some of them, they're just like, oh, well, here's the answer, and this is what we're actually obliquely referring to. So, um, you know, you don't actually miss out on these particular things. So I think in the way they've kind of built that out, it's kind of interesting. But, you know, I, I, I without getting too far into it, I think it's um, – it's it's an interesting world that they've kind of overlaid, but they've also you know had the the benefit of also solving the problem that you know every other horror film like if you made a horror film in in the modern day and age, it it wouldn't work because everyone's got a mobile phone, right? So you could just call your friends if something spooky was happening. But because it's set in 1999, no one has a mobile phone. You still have to go to a landline phone or a public phone in order to call people. So that gives you that isolation feeling of being really disconnected in a sort of a spooky, scary place. I, so, I have to be honest with you. I forgot that it was set in 1999 after about 15 minutes of playing. It seems like 
a mobile phone is the last of the concerns for the protagonist, Marianne. I mean, she is kind of regularly seeing into this kind of horrific surrealist spirit realm. So I feel like calling up someone to talk about it doesn't seem like a high priority. But at the same time, I felt like that was also... um, There's something about the delivery of Marianne's voice acting and lines and dialogue in this game that kind of took me out of it a little bit. Like, she's just a bit too chipper to be in the spirit realm. She seems like she has too much pep in her step. (laughs) And I kind of think I wanted a performance that was a little bit more like sitting in the gravity of the the psychological horror that this game is conjuring and I think successfully visually conjures for you in terms of the environments that it gives. But didn't quite pull off with the voice acting. And I think if voice acting is going to be bad in a horror game, I kind of want it to go all the way to like, bad i want it to be like resident evil one resident PlayStation evil one, one basically like, i want it to yep. be camp as hell and marianne isn't camp she's just chipper she's just happy to be there she's living her best life but she's not exactly overacting and it's it's a strange disconnect for me when i was playing this game at times i just felt myself um struggling to fully connect with her as as a person and as a as a protagonist but maybe that shifts as you get deeper into the game I think it definitely does. As you go further into the game, I guess the gravity of it. And I mean, part of the the challenge might be that this is a game that was initially developed by a studio that um, is based in Poland. And a lot of the stuff that's in the world in terms of environmental storytelling is also, you know, some of it's still in Polish, actually, when you look at it, you can kind of get the gist of what it says. um, But some of the more important parts have been translated into English. So I'm just wondering if maybe perhaps there is a a, a subtlety that hasn't quite made it across in terms of translation. Um, But as you go along as the horror sort of builds in this particular world it definitely does get a bit more gravity to it Um, and marianne is actually interacting more uh, with the environment and with other characters that appear in the game as well so um, in terms of who i think this game is for um, I, I think if you really like those older style games, but you want to try out a modern interpretation of something like a Silent Hill, it's not really as creepy as Silent Hill, I don't think. Um, it do, you don't feel in, in as much danger as you do in the Resident Evil games, but if you want to capture a little bit of that, maybe you played those games when you were younger and you just want to get a bit of that feeling back, then I think this is a perfect game to play um, if you're looking for that. And the, one of the things, I think that actually the... the, the the killer feature for this particular thing is that it was made available on the Xbox Games Pass as well, um, which means you can play it on your Xbox Series X. And there's not a lot of other games to play on Series X at the moment, um, or you can play it on PC as well. I think it's also available on Steam if you want to buy it that way. Um, but honestly, I think in terms of like, it, this may not have been a game that I probably would have played in many other circumstances, but because it was there, it was available, I could take advantage of the new console to, to the uh, maximum capacity. Um, it, it really sort of eased that uh, question that I would have had in my mind. And it, for me it gave me an opportunity to try something i probably wouldn't have tried in in previous um you know circumstances so yeah i I quite liked it i know i'm wondering where you because you've played a bit of it but i'm wondering where you sort of sit with with that um with this game yeah i think i'm in the middle i mean you mentioned before that there are chase sequences in this game um there's a couple of other things in this game what i like to call the forced stealth sequences which is something that i absolutely hate in games when they crop up um, that feel like they really killed the momentum because I just liked walking around and getting a bit freaked out and solving puzzles that when this game kind of forced me into, I guess, the friction of running away from things or from hiding and crawling past things, I just felt like it was wasting my time if I had to restart at a checkpoint. And I found that to be a bit of like something I just didn't want in this game. It's like I didn't need chase sequences or stealth sequences while I creep away from things to feel like 
there was a sense of um, unease or dread. I think they could have conveyed that with good world building and storytelling and didn't necessarily need to go down that route. Um, But I did want to say that the spirit world is phenomenal. I mean, it's all based off Polish surrealist artist uh, Zdzisław Biskinski's artwork, who is um, just like a, I guess, a very internet early 2000s meme artist. I think he's, he's kind of artwork kind of rose to prominence on the Something Awful forums and 4chan and a few other places. Like, look at this cool, weird outsider art that reminds us of Geiger. Lots of crumbling buildings and, and kind of fungus and weird biological stuff taking over brickwork that kind of permeates the spirit world. Like it's, it's, if you look at some of his pieces, they are note for note recreated in this spirit world in stunning detail. And I think just another love letter from the Polish development team about some of the, the culture and and art of their, their country that they've put into this game. So it's called the medium. Um, You can pick it up uh, right now if you want to play it on your Xbox or on your computer. Um, And it's, yeah, definitely one to check out if you like that early two, yeah, that early two thousand internet Geiger styled horror game, or you want to scratch that Silent Hill itch, uh, but don't have the time to sort of dig back into one of those big worlds again. Um, it's a good way to try- check it out. Sit down for a chat with your pals in video games. This is Mainstream by Pixel Sift. Now, Adam, I like monsters, and I want them to be in a good place. Maybe where I could put them would be a monster sanctuary tell me about monster sanctuary yeah i feel like this is a very gianni game i must say i'm surprised you haven't played it yet um so monster sanctuary is a really fun um competitive multiplayer and single player monster battler game um from a small german indie game studio called morai games and published by team 17 it's out now on switch ps4 xbox consoles games pass and pc i played it on games pass on the series x And this game is predominantly single player. It's a mix of a Metroidvania 2D exploration game in a 16-bit world, but draws heavily on the monster battling genre as well. You'll be capturing monsters. You'll be battling monsters in turn-based RPG combat when you come across enemies in the world. And the monsters that you catch will also provide you movement and just kind of other abilities that you can interact in your environment with to kind of help open up new paths in the world. So not only are you collecting upgrades in this game like you would in a Metroidvania, some of the monsters that you collect as well will be your pathways to getting to new areas. An example of that is that a monster really on with like flight capabilities gives you almost a double jump that you can kind of use to get into extra areas. So um, you'll be using your monsters to kind of break through to new areas, which I really enjoy as well. There is a rich amount of lore and world building in this game, which to be honest, I think could be cooler, but it's there. Um, and I think the story for this game is very bare bones, like be a bad guy, did the bad things. We got to save the world. Oh no, the bads. Like it's, it's, it's kind of very two dimensional in that sense, but there's enough to hook on there that like, I'm reading like this game's version of the Pokedex for all of the monsters that I catch. I'm really interested in the creative and interesting ways that they've created these monsters. Your starter monster that you pick, there's four options there. They're basically like a, a special spirit monster. And not only do you pick them, they become your companion in the game and guide you in conversation and lead you through the world. So I kind of like that element as well. Um, 
However, they did tie lore-wise those spirit monsters into bloodlines, and I really hate like bloodlines in video games and fantasy settings. Like, can we stop having families with like the right blood that gives them the special power? It's gross. Um, but that's in this game, but you can also ignore it, so whatever. <laughs> but I think the real... how, do you, how do you catch the monsters? Like, what's the process of actually catching them? Yeah, this is where it gets really fun because it's like, is it's... it a Pokemon style game? It is tied into the battle system. So, the battle system in this game is deceptively complex, but depending on how well you ex- execute your battles, your turn based combat, how fast you are, how efficient you are, and, and how good good you were at combat in a particular battle you'll be rated one to five stars for that fight and the higher your star rating the higher chance for rare drops from the monsters that you defeat including their eggs and once you get a monster egg you can hatch it and it will immediately hatch as the highest level of your current monster Um, so there's no grinding needed in this game for new monsters if you find an egg off something or you grind an egg off a monster you can hatch it to the level that you already are at which is really great for like expanding your collection of monsters and you will need a very diverse party with lots of different skill sets to kind of tackle some of the mid to late game battles in this game it gets very complicated very quickly this is not a simple combat system like a pokemon kind of this beats that sort of thing there is elemental weaknesses in this game and almost every monster has a weakness and a strength but you will need more than just elemental weaknesses to win fights. And all fights are three versus three as well. So you'll be fielding a team of three monsters, a party. You can carry six monsters with you at any time and do a swap out in the field as well from your whole monster collection. So you're kind of carrying a lot, but only six with you will be getting experience at any time. Um, And the thing that I liked is that there is some real interesting niches for what monsters can do. Every monster in this game has skill trees, um, sometimes four to five different skill trees each. Um, some only have three trees or two trees, but they have lots of different skills and niches. Every monster has at least one to two unique talents within their trees as well that really help them have a defined role in the pantheon of 100 plus monsters in this game. Um, and so you will find yourself with really interesting party combinations later on where you might have a monster that solely exists to buff your whole party and debuff the enemies and that is really really fun when you get into strategic combat it sounds like there's a lot of systems in this game um is it too complex does it like balance all those systems nicely can you just take it at whatever level you want to or do you really need to be across everything in order to get the most out of this game it starts drip feeding its systems to you so it starts off quite simple but there is definitely a difficulty curve where it expects you to start embracing the systems in this game and to kind of roll with them or you're going to hit walls with bosses very quickly. Um, I kind of realized that the kind of buffing debuffing system in this game was going to become very important when I started looking at kind of bigger skill trees and, and kind of higher level abilities where suddenly you could have a monster do one move in their turn, but kind of throw out six debuffs onto the enemy team. And like, there is also a combo system in this game, which like I will explain it very broadly, but Each time a monster attacks in a turn, um, they add up a damage multiplier for the next monster in your team. So the order that your monsters attack in and the frequency of attacks that they take in each turn is very important. So you might have a monster attack first, do six really weak attacks, but build up that combo multiplier by six so that the monster that moves third has a massive damage multiplier. So there's all these tiny little things kind of coming together, making a very strategic, very fun 
kind of puzzle game out of all of these combat sequences. And then there is multiplayer online battling. If you want to go down that route and get really obsessive, there are leaderboards. There is a meta at the moment that is very confusing and I don't want to get involved with it. The people who are playing this game online are taking it very seriously, um, which means that there is a healthy community for this game as well. And yeah, I just think that like after, I guess how disappointed I was with Pokemon Sword and Shield um, and its lack of evolution in terms of new ideas for the series. I think what Monster Sanctuary is doing for monster battling as a genre, I think is really refreshing. I think the level of complexity is really enjoyable as well because there is a lot of freedom in creating some really interesting fun builds for your monsters as well. And if you're that like, um, I guess, RPG player that really likes to build parties and synergize combos off characters, like you're going to have the most fun in this game as you try to come up with a party of three monsters that kind of all take advantage of like chill damage to like spiral their damage out of control. This is the thing you can do in this game. And that is kind of really fun. So yeah, if you're into systems, you're into turn-based combat, this game is is very good. Um, I'm into it. Um, is it? Do you, do you feel it's more of an RPG than a Metroidvania? Is that that's kind of what the feeling I'm getting from you? The combat is so good. Like the turn-based combat is not at all like fluff or filler. That it does feel like almost the world is fluff and filler for the great RPG combat. Except that I think there's really cool world design here. There's great hidden puzzles there's cool kind of ideas about like how you will backtrack and unlock switches to get cool items because you've got to equip items onto your monsters they've got a full inventory even more systems (laughs) but like i do feel like this game could literally have been like walking through a series of corridors in a linear fashion i would have gotten into it because the combat is so good i don't necessarily need the metroidvania trappings to be sucked into this um I think if you are a fan of just really good turn-based tactics, you will enjoy this game and just be like, cool, there's some light platforming here as well. Tell me about a moment that's really stood out to you in this game. What was something you really were thinking about or continue to think about uh, that uh, you would recommend to people to get the definitive experience of playing Monster Sanctuary? Yeah, um, there are a couple of moments in this game where the difficulty spikes quite dramatically and it usually happens in these kind of big set-piece boss fights against... Um, enemies called the alchemists who are other monster trainers that want to bring down the world um who cares the law's boring but like those fights just up the amount of complexity and really start making you have to think about the systems in this game and i think the first time i came up across one of those and realized i'm gonna have to go away and spend two hours rethinking my entire party and coming up with a whole new strategy to beat this boss that was when i got really excited and i was like cool the strategy and and kind of thinking is back in these sorts of games that I have craved for such a long time. That, and I think like the monster designs are kind of cute and awesome. Like I love kind of rifling through the version of the Pokedex and seeing the really nice high res pixel art of like all these different monsters. Like, you know, we're playing a monster battle a game. You want to collect cool monsters. Here's a weird little mini Cthulhu character called Grummy or whatever. And it's great. It just spits poison on everything. Um, I, I'm into it. Like monster design's sick. Combat system's really good. I think if you're craving one of these games and being let down by Pokemon or Temtem, this is a really fun one for you, but one that will definitely start challenging you as you get to the mid to late game. So yeah, that's Monster Sanctuary. It's out now on pretty much everything. Nintendo Switch, PC, Xbox Games Pass is where I played it. 
PlayStation 4 as well. Um, and it's by, uh, yeah, Moi Rai Games and Team 17. Australia's best video game podcast. Subscribe to Pixel Sift on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. So that's Mainstream episode 21. Thank you for being part of another episode of Mainstream, Adam. My pleasure. Always good to come in and talk obtuse RPG mechanics with you that no one can follow along to. Systems upon systems upon systems upon systems. That's what we love. Thanks to Brian Fairbanks from Salty Dog Sounds for composing the Mainstream theme music. Um, Now, Adam, if people want to find you online and they want to send you uh, complex systems-based role-playing games, where can they do that? All right. I am on Twitter, but I don't really look at it these days. So I'm at Adam Christou. I might see you in a month from now. But probably the best way to get in touch with me is by joining the Pixel Sift Discord. I'm on there. A whole bunch of other people from the Pixel Sift team are on there as well. You can say hi to us and reach out to me there. And you can join that by going to pixelsift.com.au forward slash discord. You'll find me there as well. I spend a lot of time in there. And while you're there and while you're online, why not check out Pixel Sift on Twitter, on Facebook and on Instagram. Uh, We promote all the stuff that we're doing. We play a lot of indie games. Uh, We talk to a lot of indie developers as well on our other podcast, which is just called Pixel Sift. Um, So if you want to check that out, that's the best place uh, for you to go. Yeah. And if you like what you've heard today, why not tell a friend about the podcast? Tell them to listen to it. Uh, get them to check out our other podcast as well. And you can also, you know, leave a review, subscribe, do all those good things on your favorite podcast player of choice. There's so many ways that you can interact with us on those platforms. That's it for this mainstream. Until next time, have fun. 